0: I am your host, Jay Poole, joined by special guest, my husband Chuckles, and this is Pot Stirrer Podcast. The War on Christmas 2018 Holiday Special, the Pot Stirrer Podcast annual holiday special is named in honor of the War on Christmas. The idea that is popular among the Christian right that acknowledging this time of the year includes other holidays like Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, and so on is somehow taking away from Christmas and disrespecting Christians. If you'd like to know more details on the War on Christmas and other holidays celebrated during this time period. Last year's special includes a lot of great information, so check that out. Today's episode will be pretty laid back. I got back from a family trip to Arizona just a couple of days ago, and yeah, it's nice not to have to do a ton of thinking. It's the end of the year, and with all the heavy topics and events that have occurred this year, it's nice to take just a little bit of time to just relax and have a little bit of fun. So right now, Chuckles and I are going to talk about a few kind of weird, strange stories that have come up over the course of this year. So the first story that I wanted to talk about is, so one of the things that comes up a lot during this time of year is that Christmas is the predominant holiday during the season. There's a story that came out of Illinois where this satanic sculpture was installed at the Illinois State House.
1: Yeah.
0: From part of the story, it says, In the Illinois Capitol Rotunda this month, several traditions are being celebrated. There's a nativity scene for Christmas, a menorah for Hanukkah, and then something a little different. An arm holding an apple with a snake coiled around it. It happens to be a gift from the Chicago branch of the Satanic Temple called Snake-tivity. This work also has a sign that reads, Knowledge is the greatest gift and nearby stands a sign in which the state offers a civics lesson. It explains it didn't have much of a choice. And so it says, quote, The state of Illinois is required by the First Amendment of the United States Constitution to allow temporary public displays in the state capitol so long as these displays are not paid for by taxpayer dollars. Because the first floor of the capitol rotunda is a public place, state officials cannot legally censor the content of speech or displays. The United States Supreme Court has held that public officials may legally impose reasonable time, place, and manner restrictions regarding displays and speeches, but no regulation can be based on the content of the speech. End quote. So, what did you think about that?
1: To me, this explanation, it all seems pretty cut and dry. I mean... It's a little unorthodox, but they have just as much of a right to display their peace as every other religion. Because in my mind, you know, I mean, especially if you're a Christian, then you believe in God, you believe in Satan also.
0: Now, I could be wrong, but like my understanding of Satanists is that they're not. Well, there, there may be some that actually worship Satan, but from my understanding of Satanism, it's actually kind of atheistic. But it's more of antagonism towards Christians and trying to focus on moving people away from dogma. And so, especially when they have this display, the same saying, saying, knowledge is the greatest gift, I think it focuses on this kind of moving away from religious faith, from the supernatural, into more focus on ourselves and our own ability to think and to learn and to make decisions it's kind of interesting but yeah you could kind of see how needles at christians oh for sure so did we want to talk about the next story yeah okay this one's kind of fun so kfc kfc is awesome and um (laughs) i know that they are pretty big in japan for christmas a lot of people like to go during the christmas holiday But here in the States, KFC is creating an 11 herbs and spices fire log. So KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken, known for their awesome chicken with 11 herbs and spices. And imagine putting that into your fireplace. Uh, I
1: am 100% (laughs) all about this. Uh, I need to have this product. It would be amazing.
0: (laughs) Yeah, me too. I think that that would be great to go in our fireplace.
1: I, I wonder if it's strictly keeping the chicken odor or if it's gonna have the side smell, because really you can't have KFC without your sides, the mashed potatoes and gravy and what have you.
0: Well yeah, the sides are good, but like it sounds like this is kind of focused on the original chicken, the original recipe chicken. You know, <laughs> I'm
1: I'm still a hundred percent in favor because the chicken just smells amazing.
0: Mm-hmm. So this is what it says in this article actually this takes from the kfc website and it says quote for more than a million years mankind has been attempting to improve upon the simple fire we've tried burning different things like sticks or leaves or various incriminating documents we've tried making fires last longer we've even figured out how to turn them into different colors all that experimentation all that innovation has culminated in this event the kfc 11 herbs and spices fire log end quote so yeah, that I, I have to have this.
1: <laughs>
0: Although I, I do
1: find it more than a little depressing that it that the website also mentions the disclaimer: "Please don't put face directly into fire and attempt to, to smell fried chicken." Ah. Uh, I, I have a feeling that that's probably a warning that's necessary to keep idiots from burning themselves.
0: I would imagine so. But like, yeah, if you want to get this log, it's apparently available for eighteen ninety nine. Okay, I guess you can get this from EnviroLog. Enviro-log.net. And it's available to people in the U.S. and Canada.
1: I imagine it's going to smell amazing.
0: Mm-hmm. Speaking of amazing taste, over the Atlantic Ocean in Germany, we so want to go to Germany. So there's a story where Apparently, they had spilled chocolate. So even apparently, they do spills better than we do. Instead of oil and chemicals and that kind of thing, they get chocolate. So this happened in the town of Verl in western Germany. And apparently, a tank at a local firm that is making liquid chocolate, this tank overflowed and poured out onto a street. So this was a ton of chocolate. Firefighters closed off the street and shoveled the chocolate about 108 square feet to one side before a specialist cleaning company cleaned the road. It's true that that's one of the easier things, or at least one of the less dangerous things that they've had to clean up.
1: Yeah, but at the same time, I would assume they had to avoid running over children that were trying to get at the chocolate, too.
0: Children and adults, because I would be out there myself.
1: Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah So so would I. Yeah. (laughs) We look like little Uter from the Simpsons.
0: (laughs) There probably isn't likely going to be a chocolate spill here. And German chocolate is really good.
1: And at least it sounds like the chocolate supply in Germany will not suffer from this. And that Christmas will not be chocolate free in Germany.
0: Okay, yeah. (laughs) So back across the pond, back to the States. Seems like Christmas came early for you guys in New Jersey. because. There was an armored truck that had money spill out into the street. Videos posted on social media showed a Brinks armored truck with its hazard lights flashing on Route 3 about 10 miles outside New York City as people ran after bills blowing between cars and trucks on the busy roadway. A person in uniform chasing the money appeared to be the truck's driver. God, I feel bad for that guy. I'm sure he probably doesn't have a job anymore.
1: Kind of a pretty funny sight to see the driver running after this money blowing away.
0: Yeah, and it looks like a bunch of other people were chasing after the money too. East Rutherford police are looking to have people turn over the money back to them. No questions asked. They're not gonna get arrested. And so there have been some people that have returned the money, but apparently not everybody, which is pretty expected i don't think they're gonna get all that money back what do you think
1: oh no absolutely not quite frankly the smart ones are the ones that are holding on to the money and just not saying anything
0: i think that that is a heck of a moral dilemma
1: although i also need video of these people chasing after the money uh to the benny hill theme song in the background
0: oh that would be funny And one other story that I thought was kind of funny, like speaking of the law, here in our area, we get a lot of deer and it's kind of crazy because we could be just driving down the street near our house. Even though we live in a city, we can drive down the street going, you know, to and from our house and deer could just pop up in the middle of the roadway, just like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> and so it's just, Yeah. You know, so I could actually see this next story happening to us, potentially.
1: <laughs> oh, without question.
0: Um, So this happened in another fun state.
1: It just makes sense to me that this happened in Florida.
0: So deputies were called to a home there to investigate a suspected burglary. And what they found was not a normal burglar, dude in all black with ski mask on. They didn't get that guy. Instead, they got a deer. According to the story, quote, Thomas Lessing said he arrived at his Land O'Lakes home and discovered the glass of his front door had been shattered. As I was going through the house, I'm noticing valuables hadn't been taken, Lessing told Bay News 9. I was thinking, what kind of robbery is this? Lessing called the Pasco County Sheriff's Office and deputies soon arrived and realized there was something moving inside the home's bathroom. He said a deputy drew his gun and announced himself before opening the door and revealing the suspect, a deer. The last thing you think of is that a deer is trapped in your house, Lessing said. Lessing captured video of the deer, which was not injured, being released through the back door. End quote. Maybe the
1: deer was doing some research for Santa Claus.
0: Maybe so, some reconnaissance. Yes. I don't know that's just nuts we've seen deer just galloping down the street and everything but can you imagine just coming home and seeing the front door open and the deer just chilling in our living room like hey what's going on
1: <laughs> I-, I think that'd be too funny
0: yeah I kind of picture it being sort of like Bojack Horseman or something
1: uh, that would be spectacular
0: yeah that would be amazing
1: So now we're going to answer questions that jay got on facebook ryan from the podcast divisive issues and oops i talked politics submitted a number of questions here are some of his questions number one what kind of candidate do you think you'll support in 2020
0: hmm i know i'm not going to be supporting donald trump here's what i hope to be honest i'm hoping that hillary clinton doesn't run again And the main reason is because, well, actually, there's probably a lot of reasons, but if you've listened to the podcast in the past, I've never really been a fan of the Clintons. And then I also think that even though there are other factors like Russian interference and such, I do think that Hillary Clinton in 2016 was her own worst enemy during her campaign. I think that she took some of the Obama constituency for granted. She didn't campaign as much in Midwestern states like Michigan, and she seemed to take the concerns of the Black community for granted, such as Black Lives Matter distancing herself until the last minute, and I am concerned that she hasn't learned her lesson from then. And so I kind of feel like if she runs, then it's almost like giving another four years to Donald Trump. Now, I do hope that there may be a ticket of some combination of Kamala Harris and Beto O'Rourke. That would be something I really like to see. I really like the energy of Harris and O'Rourke. And I think that they're setting up a great future for the Democratic Party as long as the party allows them to. But in any case, what I would really like to see is someone who can go out there and articulate what the Democratic Party actually stands for, and can show that they are not afraid of Donald Trump. I want to see someone who is not afraid to take the fight to Donald Trump, is not always on the defensive, and is willing to both call Trump out on the things that he does, but at the same time, show how the Democrats can do better for the American people, that they are a better, more viable option for the American people. I don't want to see centrism because centrism got us here. I mean, really at this point, I think that it doesn't make sense to be centrist because the center has been moved so far to the right that we kind of need to maybe recenter things to where in common sense, issues like healthcare, like how we treat immigrants, how we treat citizens who are being profiled by police or arrested by police. There's a lot of different domestic issues that should be taken to look at. It shouldn't take a back seat. It affects a lot of different people. And I think that those issues shouldn't be disregarded for the sake of being centrist. And I'm Looking at the Democratic Party, because I think the Republican Party has pretty much gone to crap at this point, but I'm hoping that there will be a Democratic candidate that will come up in opposition to Trump that will embody a lot of those issues and also be able to really take the fight to Trump and will show that he, she, they that they're not afraid of Trump.
1: Okay, the uh, the next question is a multi-parter. All right. How do you feel about the anti-religious movement on the left? I've been through phases of really strong anti-organized religion and have seen a lot of similar people in leftist circles. How do you interact with people you agree with on issues but disagree with or even mock your perspective?
0: So this is kind of an interesting question because I think that this also reflects the different phases I've gone through in terms of my personal faith. So there was a time that I was very evangelical, even though I tended to be pretty liberal on a lot of issues. But at the same time, I was very like evangelical Christian. So that meant that I tended to be into a lot of proselytizing, a lot of apologetics. So in other words, like debating people about, say, the existence of God, the prudence of religious faith. I remember getting into debates with people in, especially in grad school, because there were a lot of people, I mean, including professors that I had that were pretty left to center on issues that I agreed with politically, but weren't crazy about, but these people were in some cases, not just non-religious, but kind of antagonistic towards religion. Now, at this point, I've moved from being evangelical towards being ex-evangelical, but still Christian. And I think that I have a little bit more understanding where people who are non-believers and even those who are anti-religious, where some of them may come from. And so, I mean, I look at it all as a process. I don't take it personally if people feel the need to disagree or make fun of my perspective they had their own road as far as faith i have mine i do still believe in god i do still believe in jesus i'm still a christian but i guess i'm past the point now to where i'm worried about trying to say convert other people because i think that there are legitimate issues within organized religion and i mean i'm sure that there's issues with various different organized religions I know the most about Christianity because it's my knowledge base and it's where my experience comes from. I can see why people might feel that way. I mean, I'm willing to to kind of engage those thought processes without being offended myself. God is big enough that he doesn't need me to defend him. I just look at it as like, okay, this is where I'm at right now. This is where they're at. And I respect that they see things differently than I do. I'm not going to go and judge other people whether they judge me or not. I'm not even worried about that. The way I look at it, I'm too old to worry about what other people think. So, you know, that's kind of how I look at it, but I do I do try to listen to to other people's perspectives that do feel and think differently on faith issues whether they believe or not. And I feel like I learn a lot through people who have various perspectives.
1: Okay, the next question. What do you think of the two years of melania decorations we've seen?
0: <laughs> oh God! So I looked at the two years of Melania Trump decoration, twenty seventeen. I think if you look at the pictures, there, I think it's like mostly like all white, and they're like, kind of like these willow like things that were lined up. And I I thought that that was cute. um This year's decorations are the ones that are those all red trees. They're I think poinsettia that kind of thing, and. I mean, honestly, I know that some people will hate me for this, but I actually don't think they look bad. (laughs) Yeah, like I actually don't think they look bad. I don't know if I would necessarily put all of that in my house, but I, I could see how people would like it. And now, of course, if you're the florist, this year, the florist that did the decorations was from here in Cincinnati and she got a lot of crap. For decorating for the trumps and i mean i don't know realistically what are you gonna expect although i thought it was interesting that she was surprised but considering that cincinnati is very conservative i'm not surprised that she was surprised that she got a lot of flack because here it is kind of conservative and kind of insular and i think a lot of times i mean not everybody here but There are a lot of people here that it's really hard for them to see that there are people out there that might have different perspectives than they do. Anybody that's going to work with this administration is going to get a lot of crap. That's just what it is. I mean, I don't know if the florist deserves crap. It's not like they're actually working on policy. So, I mean, I'm not going to hate on the florist for doing decorations for the White House. I mean, it is a heck of an opportunity but i could see why why people might feel like that what do you think
1: i think the the people that are giving the florist a bunch of crap should probably calm down and re-examine their lives and and really find peace and and realize what's the point in talking down to a florist that was hired for like you said is quite the opportunity Mm -hmm. and in anybody that would uh, that would turn down that opportunity is nuts.
0: Well, I don't know. I mean, I I might be considered nuts because I don't know if I'd do anything for this White House. But I mean, but I'm not going to hate on somebody who gets that opportunity and is like, you know, okay, I'm going to take it. So
1: I mean, I mean, I I can understand, you know, with with their personal feelings on this particular White House, why you wouldn't. But just passing up that opportunity for that kind of promotion, I think. For that promotion opportunity, I think that's ridiculous. Because, I mean, if you do an amazing job, then your decorations are seen by the world. Realistically, that's going to drum up a lot more business.
0: Yeah, and I bet you that that she's gotten a good ton of business, especially here in this area, because this area, again, this area is more conservative. And I think that at least among locals, among locals, I don't think that this is a negative for her.
1: I would agree with that. But at the same time, though, I've seen people from this area also being ones to to talk down about the florist. But, hey, you know, if if people want to see it Mm -hmm. that way, that's their prerogative. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That is my prerogative, to think that it's an amazing hell of an opportunity. Right. So now we'll go ahead and move on to the next multiple-part question. (laughs) Okay. This is from Dame, who is the editor of the newest monthly blog on the Flying Machine website. And they asked, I have one that I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on. Is there a difference between religion and spirituality? If so, what is the difference? And if not, why are people so adamant to describe themselves as spiritual, not religious? Uh, can I go ahead and take a crack at this one, actually? Okay, that's fine. Or at least I'll go ahead and take a crack at it first. Okay. Uh, yes, I, I believe that there's there's a difference between religion and spirituality, especially because, like the question says, that. People like to say that they're spiritual but not religious. I think the, the difference is, when you say that you're spiritual, it's that that you believe that there's a higher power of some random sort, you just don't know exactly what, as opposed to when you're religious, then you tend to have that one deity that you believe in. And I, and I think that, especially with so many people that just love to describe themselves as atheist, they just love to call themselves spiritual, because then... They seem not quite as close-minded.
0: But wouldn't you call yourself sort of like this, though? At one point, I would have. Okay.
1: But then I, I think that I've seen enough, that I lean more towards calling myself religious.
0: Hmm. Okay. Yeah, this is such an interesting question, and I think it sort of maybe ties back to... I think Dame's question kind of ties back to Ryan's question about being kind of anti-organized religion. So that first question, is there a difference between religion and spirituality? I think religion tends to be, tends to focus on a specific deity. There's usually specific beliefs that kind of go along with belief in that deity. There's some kind of doctrine, some kind of theology, ritual. There are different traditions that stem from belief in that specific deity and that specific belief system. And so I think that that's, like, when we think of religion, that's what people think of. Spirituality is just kind of this overall belief in a higher power. I think it allows for maybe more freedom for different people. People may see what that higher power is in different ways. For some people, there may be, because of their background or their experiences, They might see that deity in somewhat religious terms. They may borrow from different religions, but they may not hold themselves to the tenets of that religion. Instead, they just see like, okay, it's this higher power. I believe there's something out there that is bigger than myself or bigger than humanity, bigger than what is terrestrial life, that kind of thing. So I think that that's really where the differences are. So there are people that are adamant to say that they're spiritual, not religious, because either they really do believe that there is this higher power that they define for themselves, or they may have sort of a religious framework for it, but they don't really want to tie themselves to organized religion. And it may be that they don't want to deal with the dogma and the structure that organized religion entails. It may be that they don't want to be tied to some of the scandals or some of the issues that have come with various organized religions that we've heard of, trying to disassociate themselves with some of the damage that organized religion can do for people. When I'm not podcasting and all of that, one of the things that I'm, that I found myself increasingly interested in is the ex evangelical community. So, this is a group of people who were part of evangelicalism and have moved away from that framework of Christianity. And within that community, some people have moved to being agnostic or atheist. Others have moved into different types or different expressions of Christianity. Others are in that kind of spiritual, but not religious. And some have moved on to just different religions or different religious systems. And I mention that because a lot of that comes from negative experiences within evangelicalism. And I think that that can be the case with other religions as well. I mean, I can't really speak to other religions, but as far as the experiences that I've had and what I've seen from other people that have come from maybe more of an evangelical framework or just more kind of conservative Christian framework, that there are some systemic issues that's like I've, and I've brought them up on other episodes. A lot of people don't want to be associated with some of that. And one of those reactions can be. To be like, okay, you know what, I still believe in something, I just don't know what that is. Or I believe in something, but it's not going to be within this framework that I was familiar with. And I'm going to take the God part or the higher power part, but not the all this extra baggage.
1: I, I think your answer makes a lot of sense.
0: So, Chuckles, do you have any questions for me?
1: Yes. What do you recall to be you first a really strong political opinion that you formed on your own, not as like a, as a product of your parents' political beliefs.
0: That's a really hard question to answer just because a lot of my early political thought processes, I'm going to be honest, like a lot of people, there's a lot of parental influence. I think probably the one that I can recall is affirmative action. Yeah, this is something to where like we I mean, we never really had that conversation. But it was something that I started really thinking about in college because when I came to college, this was around the late 90s, early 2000s, when there were a lot of these challenges to affirmative action. So, with the University of Michigan cases, Gratz versus Bollinger and Groter versus Bollinger, as well as cases before it, like Backey versus University of California, Davis. A lot of the focus on affirmative action has been, or at least the challenges to affirmative action, have been on race. Yet statistically, the outcome of affirmative action programs has benefited white women the most. Well, when I started out at Ohio State, I remember a number of people asking me, "Well, how did you get into this school?" Well, you know what? I was valedictorian of my high school class, and I had great scores on my SAT and ACT, but the fact of the matter was that in this country with segregated schools that accomplishing that was a lot harder than someone that had the benefit of being in schools that might have been better funded that had more alumni that were supporting it, so on and so forth, the other thing is that affirmative action was one of many different advantages that people could have in terms of getting into school. They could have more extracurricular activities, which seems to be a merit type of thing. But if you're a kid who has parents that don't make a lot of money, they may not be able to afford to support their kids going to all these athletics. Their kids might have to take up jobs and aren't able to do all these extracurricular activities. Also, nobody questioned someone who got into school because their parents were alumni or their parents contributed a lot to the school or the parents or their grandparents or great grandparents, their names were on a building at the school. Nobody questioned how they got in. Nobody questioned what kinds of grades that they might've had, Yet that was just as much an advantage as affirmative action, if not more so. And so the way I looked at it was we have inequalities already in the education system. It's going to take years to fix that. So why not allow for people to have the fact that there are these inequalities considered when applying to higher education, You can't change what happened in elementary school, but you can change what happens in the future and the opportunities that people can have in the future. And regardless of, say, an individual person of color or a woman or whoever, what they individually got as far as advantages, I went to Catholic schools. I didn't go to public schools. But at the end of the day, If I'm in front of an admissions officer or after college being in front of a hiring manager, they're not going to see that I have all of these accomplishments. They're just going to see the person who walks through the door. They're going to see my gender. They're going to see my race. That's the country that we live in. And we shouldn't be like, oh, yeah, kumbaya, when that's not the world that we live in right now. So that is where I landed. And I was very active in college in terms of being an activist for affirmative action.
1: That's really interesting. Thank you for that answer.
0: I'm going to ask you the same thing you asked me. What was the first issue to where you formed an opinion, not based on what your family thought?
1: I'm going to go with the first politician that I really supported without any sort of parental influence. I would probably actually have to say George H.W. Bush, just because, at least I know that uh, for sure, uh, for my dad, he was actually more of a Clinton supporter back then.
0: Huh, that's interesting.
1: (laughs) My dad liked Clinton's policies a lot more. I I would look at George H.W. Bush and be like, yeah, you know, this all kind of makes sense, you know?
0: Do you recall what specifically you liked about him?
1: I didn't say you know I like the way that he, that he would carry himself during speaking and just really classy and just really poised and like he just belonged there you know. That's further evidence when you look at the letter that he left in the White House for Bill Clinton, pretty much saying that we may not agree politically, but at the same time we have to work together. And that's a message that I think nowadays is sorely missing. To go back to uh, an earlier question about. Who are you support in 2020? For me, I would support who's going to try to really bring both sides together, even if they aren't necessarily, even if, if both sides don't end up really working together a whole lot, just so long as they can get a bit of a start working together, because that's what we need.
0: newest podcast to join the Flying Machine Network, Short, Colorful, and Loud, with Elle and Zach, their grown-ups who look back at forgotten and obscure kids' movies. Their first episode with the network is now available. It's on the early 90s movie Porco Rosso, and it's with our network founder, Malcolm Nygaard, so be sure to check that out at shortcolorfulloud.libsyn.com or on iTunes, Stitcher, and other podcatchers. And for all of our great shows on the Flying Machine Network, check out flyingmachine.network slash shows. I'm Jay Poole.
1: And I'm Chuckles.
0: Thank you very much for joining us for The War on Christmas 2018. Go to potstarpodcast.com for all of our episodes. Make sure that you subscribe. Check out potstourpodcast.com download. The links to several different podcatchers are right there. So make sure you check that out. I'm Jay Poole. And I'm Chuggles. from our family to yours. Have a wonderful holiday season. I give
1: you the incredible flying machine.